Well, this morning I want to talk about uh, talk with you about the popular culture of the kingdom. Amen. How many of y'all have ever heard the phrase "popular culture" or "pop culture"? Amen. And it's very significant. Remember, Rod Parsley preached a sermon one time. Said, "Culture's the culprit." Was the title of his sermon, and was talking about how the church dropping a, a couple of little sociological terms on you. You know, there's the culture culture at large in a society. And you understand that, that culture means is talking about perspectives and attitudes of a culture, customs of a culture. And he said that the church in America has become a subculture, which is a culture within a culture. You know, you have that's usually broken up, at, and the lines fall along a lot of times around ethnic groups. How many of y'all know you can go into any major city in the United States? You can go to Los Angeles, you can go to New York, you can go to Washington D.C. Different cities, any place that there is a significant concentration of people of a particular ethnic background. You know, Chinatown. Pastor Cheyenne and I, when we went to Washington, D.C., a couple of times we've been to Washington, D.C., there's a Chinatown in Washington, D.C. There's Chinatown in Los Angeles and San Francisco and New York. And, and, usually, and those are known as subcultures because they're in uh, the, the main culture, but they're a subunit under that's a part of it. And that the church in America, and you understand this, and last week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit some of what we didn't finish uh, bringing you last week when we were talking about the blessed nation, that, that in the New Testament the word that's translated nation is literally, it's literally the Greek word ethnos, where we get the word ethnic from. And in the, and in the Bible when it's talking about a nation, people of a nation, that one of the characteristics of an ethnos was that they all claim to have, that each ethnic group has, lays claim to a common ancestral heritage. In other words, I mentioned this last week, if you were of the, if you were of the Ammonite nation, that meant that you were descendants of Am- Ammon. Amen? And so you understand that the church, God intended for us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy ethnos, a, a geo, it is actually a political group, a nationality that includes a political affiliation that has, that's based on a common ancestor. Well, who's our common ancestor? Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Amen. But you understand that these groups, they become, that most of these subcultures fall along ethnic lines because they have a common ethnicity. And, and you understand that God never intended for the church, His holy nation, and you understand holy means set apart. God never intended for His set-apart nation to become a subculture. And yet that's what the church has become for the, in large part in America is a subculture. God intended for the church to be, there's another term that's called a counterculture. God intended for the church to be a counterculture. God intended for, because you understand that a subculture just kind of goes with the flow of the overall culture but they're kind of doing their own little thing going with the flow. Do you know what I mean? They're not making any waves. But a counterculture is a culture within a culture that is, has uh, values, has values and, and behaviors that are directly the opposite of the culture that they're in. And that's what God intended for the church to be because you understand this, that culture, there's only two sources for culture. There's the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of, of, of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where our values and what we consider the norms and what's acceptable, an acceptable lifestyle, 
is defined by the Word of God. Everything, out, everything else outside that, all the different multiple manifestations of different cultures, whatever it might be, anything outside the kingdom, that's actually of the devil. Oh, Pastor, that sounds like a bold statement. Jesus made real bold statements. Huh? Jesus just said, I don't think that I came to bring peace. This blows a lot of people's mind. Jesus said, the words out of Jesus' mouth, Jesus said, you know, oh, but what about when the angels sang peace on earth and goodwill toward men? He was talking about peace between man and God was coming because Jesus, the Messiah, was coming to reconcile the lost humanity back to God, and that was the peace. Jesus didn't come saying, I'm going to cause peace on earth. Huh? Jesus said, don't think I came to cause peace, but I brought a sword. I brought a sword of division, and a man's enemies will be of He said, Jesus said, it even come right down to your own household. That people would be divided. Why? Because, because what, Jesus came to rest, what Jesus came to restore and bring back to humanity was the culture of heaven, which is antithetical, which is the exact opposite of the culture of the world. And so, I just wanted to read some things to you real quick about popular culture, commonly known as pop culture. It is the totality of ideas, perspectives, attitudes, images, and other phenomena that are deemed preferred per an informal consensus with the mainstream of a given culture, especially Western culture uh, of the early mid-20th century and the emerging global mainstream of the late 20th and early 21st. Heavily influenced by mass media, this collection of ideas permeates the everyday lives of society. Amen? Now, I know that's a big mouthful for you, amen, to, to digest that and get all that in notes. Get the CD, get the podcast when we put it up. But basically, it's saying popular culture it's the, it, it is made up of the ideas, the perspectives, the attitudes, and other things that are considered, uh, that, are, that are deemed preferred uh, by an informal consensus within the mainstream. In other words, the majority of the people... Because you understand mainstream means the majority of people. That pop culture is those ideas, perspectives, and attitudes that are deemed appropriate because everybody's doing it. It's, the, it's, the, it's accepted by the mainstream of the culture. Okay, There was a time in America within my lifetime where if a man and a woman were living together and they weren't married, man, people... People's like, ooh, they shacked up. They living together. How many of y'all know times have changed because most churches don't even give it a second thought? Because we've got open hearts and open minds and open doors and God loves everybody. You know, we're all just, you know, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Excuse me? Don't insult the blood of Jesus to me. Don't insult the blood of Jesus to me and say that, the, that there's no difference between me and someone who's not been born into the kingdom. Amen? Because you understand if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You used to be... It, it's an oxymoron to say I, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. That's a contradiction because you used to be an old sinner and you realize that that word saved means... Sozo means uh, made whole, made complete... Amen? A complete restoration of things. So you may have used to be, before Jesus Christ was Lord, you were an old sinner. You got saved by grace. And the Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he is a new creation. One translation even says, a completely new species that's never existed before. But actually, 
it did exist before, and that was before the fall. Amen? It was, it was mankind walking in the authority and the dominion that God established him to walk on. But you understand, so popular culture is what's accepted by the mainstream. And it's subject to change. And one of the most powerful influences on it, we, we read on that here, I read this to you, says the popular culture is heavily influenced by mass media. Amen? And that this collection of ideas, what is deemed normal culture, that it permeates the everyday lives of people in society. Amen? There's hardly any place you can get, you can get away from it. And with the... And I know this is probably sound, this might, for some of you might be going, Pastor, this sounds a little academic what you're giving me this morning. Just follow with me. This is by way of introduction, okay? And you understand that popular culture, really, it start, you know, there was a time in the United States that young people that lived in different regions of the country had different slang. Because there was a time before mass communication and mass media was available that you know, people, you know, kids down in deep south, South Georgia talk different than maybe what use different slang than what kids up in West Virginia would, or kids in Southern California would, or kids in Texas would. Okay, but you understand that now, and it really it started you know back in the late 50s, really, with radio and 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 media began to develop that you know that people would start being exposed to this media, and the media would influence. The way they spoke, it influenced the way they thought, it influenced the things they did. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Have we heard that before? Your faith, what you believe, controls how you think, speak, and behave. And so mass media began to, to penetrate the country, and then you started finding out that all these little kids, you know, how come a kid that grew up, uh, up in a holler or out on a ridge someplace in West Virginia would know the same slang words that some kid living down in, in uh, flatlands of South Georgia or some kid out in, in Southern California would. Why? Because they've been, they've been exposed to the same type of media. They're listening to the same music. They're hearing nationally syndicated disc jockeys. Okay, and that, it, the influence of media has exploded in the, in the past 50 years to unimaginable proportions. You, you literally, you cannot hardly go any place and escape the, the, the influence of media. It's on your TV, it's on the internet, it's on the radio, it's on billboards. You know, you walk, you know, you're checking out at the grocery store, media, media, media. It's all there. Okay? And you understand that, that all of that, too many people, if you're not careful, you know, you fall into that mainstream of culture. Well, you know, you just fall right into it and don't realize that that culture is influencing your everyday decisions. It, it, it influences how you behave. And we need to be con- and where it really becomes a problem is, is when we realize this, you understand, anything, you know, the Bible says anything that's not a faith is, a, is sin. Any cultural perspective that we have that's not based on the Word of God, this is, this is a real no-duh statement. If it's not in the Bible, it's unscriptural. <laughs> Amen? And it means that it's, there's not a legitimate basis for us to hold that in our, in our, as part of our perspectives, attitudes, and other things that make up our culture. What are you talking about, Pastor? Well, you understand this. One of the, one of the, most, uh, one of the things that's found most heavily in modern and contemporary popular culture 
It's heavily influenced, influenced by a philosophy commonly known as hedonism. How many of y'all have ever heard of hedonism before? Okay? Hedonism is, a, uh, is the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole good or chief good in life. Hedonism is a school of ethics which argues that pleasure is the only intrinsic good. The basic idea behind hedon, hedonistic thought is that pleasure is the only thing that has any intrinsic value. This is often used as justification for evaluating actions, in terms of how much pleasure and how little pain they produce, in very simple terms, the hedonist strives to maximize his net pleasure. Okay? How many of y'all have heard this before? And I have heard church people say this before. Yeah? And it's usually in the context of, of, of someone's, their intimate life. Okay? Keeping it G. Amen? They're into my, well, you know, I just think, you know, what goes on between two consenting adults, I mean, it's, you know, it's just between them and it's not hurting anybody else. How many of y'all heard that before? I've had believers, professed believers, look me in the eye and to justify their, their, uh, their sexual promiscuity, say, well, you know what? It's just between two consenting adults. Yeah, we ain't married, but we hook up. Yeah, but what, what difference does that make? Well, the difference it makes is that God's Word says that's not acceptable for believers. The Bible says to possess your vessel, your body, with honor. The Bible says if you join yourself to a harlot, you've become one flesh with them. Sexual sins carry tremendous... But you understand that the culture of the world is, here it is, if it feels good, do it. That's the contemporary motto for hedonism. If it feels good, do it. If it brings me pleasure, do it. If it brings me satisfaction. Now you understand that it's not just in the context of, uh, of sexuality. It's in the, it can be in the context of anything. How is how how hedonism applied in business practice? Well, if you're working, you know, if you're a businessman, and, you, know, and you, can, you, know, you can lie and you can fudge stuff a little bit, and you can get it to your good, and that ain't really hurting anybody. I've just increased, and you know, I've made out good for myself. Huh? It, hedonism, it can, it can apply to any place, really. It can, apply, it can apply. In other words, you're looking to do what gratifies you. You're placing your self-gratification as the top priority. And how many of you all know that, that as believers in the kingdom, we had, God has told us what our, what our top priority is. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then these other things will be added to you. Hedonism, really, you know, hedonism was, it was defined before Jesus even walked on the earth in the flesh. It was defined before Jesus even walked the earth in the flesh. But you understand this, that the concept of hedonism, and hedonism is just a label that was put on an idea. You understand that that was something that really existed. Let's take it all the way back to, oh, if you eat the fruit, you shall not surely, you shall surely not die. What does it say? What's the Bible say in Ecclesiastes chapter 1? It says there's nothing new under the sun. Who can show me something and say this is new, it's never been done before? There's no such thing. You understand there's no new idea. Every idea that is, that is influencing culture right now, there's nothing new. There might be new ways of doing stuff where, you know, 200 years ago, or let's just say 100 years ago, a man would have had to went to, you know, went to a bar or something to watch the woman get naked. Now they can watch it on the Internet. 
Right? Am I, is it just, am I getting just too real for you this morning? You understand there's new ways of delivering the same old idea, but there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that's going on right now. There's new ways of delivery. There's new ways of carrying out stuff. But there's nothing new under the sun. Amen? And so this concept of, of, meet, of making myself, getting myself pleasured first, self-gratification, watching out for me, here's another, here's another little buzz uh, phrase that you hear that, that smacks of hedonism. You know, I'm watching out for number one. I used to joke, for, joke with people and say, I'm looking out for number two because it's harder to get off. Amen. <laughs> Some of y'all get that. Amen. Some of y'all get that. But they say, I'm looking out for number one. Huh? You understand that when you're doing that, that that is the antithesis. That's the exact opposite of what the Word teaches us that we're supposed to do. The Bible teaches us that we're to look out for the concerns of others. Amen? Really, if we're supposed, you know, am I my brother's keeper? And you know what? In this, it, it's the old, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. Where's your brother? Oh, am I my brother's keeper? Hedonism? Putting myself first? Is it my responsibility to care for other people? But you understand that, that the popular culture of the kingdom is completely opposite to what the pop culture of this world is. Like I said, whatever its manifestation may be, you know, you name it, you know, whatever the manifestation of culture is, if it's outside the Word of God, it's only got one other source, despite how it manifests. So understand this, that the culture of the kingdom, amen, understand this, the, the main perspectives and attitudes of the kingdom of heaven are faith, hope, and love. Anybody heard that before? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The, 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 you know, so you understand this, and I'm going to give you this definition again so you can see where I'm going with this. Remember, the definition of popular culture, part of it was it's the totality of the ideas, perspectives, and attitudes that are deemed uh, preferable uh, by the consensus of the mainstream. In other words, the majority of the people accept it. This is what the, this is what the added, ideas, perspectives, and attitudes of the kingdom of heaven are, and they rest upon uh, faith, hope, and love. Now, we're going to look at some Scripture here, but first of all, I want to get you... You're familiar with the Scripture. says, Now abideth faith, hope, and love. Or if you're reading your King James Version, it says charity, but it's actually the word agape, love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Well, why? Well, Galatians says you know, that faith worketh by love. If, you, if you've not got love operating in your life, your faith won't do any good. Your faith, your faith will be powerless... Your faith, really, it'll just be ornamental faith. How many of y'all know when something's ornamental, it's not really intended to be put to use? I remember my aunt, when I was a kid growing up, she had ornamental shields and swords in one of the rooms of her house. And I thought, ooh, it'd be cool to get one of those things out and go whack some weeds with it, you know, when I was a kid. Get that thing off the wall. But you understand, it was just ornamental it wasn't made to hold up to the test of going out and striking something with it like a real sword would. Well, if you see, if you're not walking in love, and if your life and your actions are not dictated by the love of God, then all you've got is ornamental faith. Because you can quote some scriptures, and you can tell me some things, but when it comes down to push, come to shove, and it's time to put your faith down and move the mountain, guess what, baby? The mountain ain't moving. Because you just got some ornamental faith, something that looks like faith, and it's hanging on the wall, and it looks like faith, but when you take it down and you put it to the test, it ain't working. Why? Because, you're not, because your motives and your, and your uh, attitudes are not motivated by love, the love of God. Amen? And it says, you know, faith, 
Hope, you understand this, hope, hope is, hope, faith is the substance. We talked about this uh, Wednesday night. Faith is the substance. And that word substance, if you study that, it literally means the foundation. Faith is the foundation of things hoped for. So, but if you don't have love, then your faith's not going to work and you're not going to have a foundation for your hopes. And hopes are a confident expectation of something taking place. Right? It's not wishing. It's, ba- it's always based upon the foundation of the Word. You've got to have Word and Scripture to have faith for you to have a confident expectation of something coming to pass. And so, if you don't have love, your faith's not going to work. And if your faith's not going to work, then you're not going to have an adequate foundation upon which to, to, to have hope. Right? You can't have an expectation. And so, we want to take a look at love. The, the popular culture of the kingdom rests upon the love of God. And I want to just give you some things. How many of y'all know that when you're reading, you know, when we read in, in the Bible that there's several words in the Bible that are translated love. And love is something that we really, we throw our words around way too loosely in our culture. We really do. We need to realize, and God help us to get a revelation of the power that's in the words that we speak. The things that we believe in our heart and that we speak with our mouth. Help us to realize the power that those words do have over our life. Amen? And what we're going to have. But you understand people will say, Oh, I love pizza. Oh, I got this, you know, I got this motorcycle and I love this motorcycle. Or, you know, take your pick of whatever it is. Or I love going shopping. Okay? Well, now, does it seem funny that you're using the same word about to describe your affinity toward chocolate ice cream that you do toward your wife and children? You think I, y'all pastor is nitpicking? No, Pastor Cheyenne's very, very strict with that about Clay. Clay will go, I love ice cream, and she'll know, honey, you like ice cream a lot. We love God and we love people, but we don't love things. Amen. And you understand this that the Bible, that in the Greek language, there are at least five words that are commonly translated love. The one English word love. We want to tell you these so that you can differentiate. All right. There's the word phileo that's translated love, amen, where we get to the name of the city, Philadelphia. Phileo, you ever wonder why they call it the city of brotherly love? Because it's based on the Greek word phileo that means uh, friendship, affectionate love based on emotion. Brotherly love, phileo, okay? There's another word that's called eros. It means uh, passionate love associated with sexual desire, and I really like what Dr. Miles Monroe said. It's really a misnomer to even translate eros into love. Because how many of y'all know that love is, that, that agape is not a requirement for eros? Because there's a lot of eros going on in the world today that has nothing to do with love. It's actually associated with hedonism, immediate self-gratification. All it is is wanting to satisfy sexual desire, eros. Uh, storge, it's a, the affection of a parent for their offspring. Amen? You understand this, when I say I love my wife, and I, but I also say I love my children, how many of y'all know, unless you're really weird, there needs to be a little bit difference between how you love your wife and you love your children. Amen. Right? There's a difference. Storge is the love, the affection of a parent for their offspring. Say, so why are we talking about this, Pastor? Well, a lot of times the English language is just really inadequate for a lot of things. It's really a very limited language about, about some things, and that's just another reason. It tells you why it's so important to get filled with the Holy Ghost and be able to pray in tongues, get your heavenly language, and pray 
And so when your English vocabulary is limited and you can't pray out the things as you ought, amen, does that, that almost sound scriptural. And when we know not how we ought to pray, that the Holy Spirit makes up for our weaknesses right when we're praying. Amen? You understand this? There's a, a, another one, a Greek word, theloma. It means the desire to do something. This would be the word that we would, would use. I love to go shopping. Huh? It, you'd be better off saying, I desire to do something. I enjoy going shopping. I desire to do that. And then finally, we come down to agape. And so through the New Testament, when we're talking about the love of God, we're talking about agape love. And agape is benevolence based on a self-sacrificing commitment. It's based on a person's character. This is the kind of love that never fails. Amen? You know what? The reason so many marriages fail today in America is because they've been founded on one of the other four types of love and not agape. And we'll tell you this, if you, if you fall in love, amen, how many know if you fall in love, you can fall out? Amen? Now, how many, now, I'll give you this. Some of you may say, now, Pastor, I fell in love with my wife. Yeah, you may have just fell in love with your wife, but you realize that at some point in your marriage, if you've been married very long at all, that, you've, that it's grown beyond that. Amen? More, than, more, than, more often the truth is, is that <coughs> you saw her, and you thought she was a fine-looking thing. Or she saw you and she thought, he's a fine-looking thing. And you had an attraction toward one another that really didn't have a whole, <clears throat> a whole lot to do with agape. Amen? But, it, but agape has... You've cultivated that relationship and it's become where, it, where it's agape. Amen? Where, we, where, where it is a self-sacrificing love. Some of us, some people, amen, may have been married for years and still not have agape in your marriage. You know, do you get bent out of shape and pout when you don't get your way? Do you, you know, <laughs> what was it? I can't remember what movie it was. There's one movie that said, this woman said she was looking for someone to love her. She said, so that when we get on an airplane and fly, if he's got the window seat, he'll offer it to me. Because <laughs> she wanted, the, you know, what, are you, what are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about you're willing to sacrifice something that, bl- that brings pleasure to you to meet the, to meet the other person's needs, Amen. But you understand this this thing, and benevolence means to do, and I've said this before, and you need to understand this, the agape love means I only do that which is to your benefit. Amen? The Word says, and we may take a look at this scripture later, the Word says that love worketh no ill to its neighbor. Amen? Do you understand that when God's telling us to be people of love, when it's saying God loves you, when it says you're supposed to be people of love, that God's not telling you you need to have warm, mushy feelings toward people. I'm going to tell you what, since I have been in full-time ministry, there have been plenty of opportunities that I have had that I have loved people that I just didn't even like them at all. I know it might be shocking some of you, but I just told you, I don't shellac none of it. I just give you the raw stuff, right? There's been people that personally, I didn't like their personality. They were abrasive. And let's just be honest, I've met some people that were really just flat-out jerks. But I still love the person. Oh, well, it doesn't sound like you love that person. You call them a jerk. I'm speaking the truth in love. Amen? I'm just, I'm just, like I said, I'm just bold enough just to tell it to you plain because I'm not going to sit up here and tell you all fairy tales about, how, about spiritual fairy tales so that you all grow up just thinking. Because I know when I grew up in church, I hear people talking about, oh, when I got saved, I never had a desire to do anything wrong ever again in my life. Bless his holy name. And I used to, and I was a kid, and when I was a kid, and I'd ask, you know, Jesus to be my Lord, and I, and I got saved. 
and I'm going into through my teenage years, amen, and all these things coming up and all these temptations that are going on that, that, you, that you experience growing up in life, and I think, dear Jesus, I'm not even saved. Why? Because somebody stood up and basically just lied through their teeth. You want to know when you're going to stop being tempted? When you're dead. As long as you're sucking wind, you're going to be tempted to sin. And understand this, being tempted is not a sin itself. It's a sin when you begin to entertain it, and then it, then you begin to act upon what you're entertaining. Amen. I remember it was so funny. At the conference, the association that I grew up in, that there was a, you know, this was I was ordained when I was 22 years old, and I would start going to these to the quarterly conference associations. And there was a, my pastor was about 45 years old then, and we went and we met this other guy, this other pastor that he was in his 70s and had been ministering for over 50 years. He's like 75, 76 years old. And my pastor was talking to him and he said, he said, Brother Such, he said, let me ask you something. He said, how old were you when you finally had to stop dealing with sexual temptation? Ask this 76-year-old man. You know what he told him? He said, Brother, when I get there, I'll let you know. How many of you all know you can, you can paint all these fairy tales for people and make them and, and build up false expectations of people that, don't, that, that are not scriptural, that's unreal, and you're really doing people a disservice to do it. So back to what I was saying is that it's possible to love someone and not even like them at all. Because I might not like your personality. You might be the most abrasive, most, you know, amen, praise God, look straight ahead. Nobody, <laughs> nobody in this church, okay, but in dealings, okay, Especially in the areas of benevolence. Okay, we've had some opportunities here recently that were presented before us that there was a particular person, man, they were irritating. You know, you weren't around them very long and you're sort of just like, hey, you want to play this ball and kick it out in the middle of the interstate and go, go get it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm joking. They were very, it was a very irritating person. But guess what? They had a need that the church was able to, to help that person. And I felt led of the Holy Spirit to do it, to, to offer some help and to try to speak into someone's life. Amen. And we did it. And even though I found your person, that, that person's personality irritating and, and just grating and got on your nerves, guess what? I still love the person. Because you understand this, when God talks about love, He's not talking about a feeling. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves you and He is passionate about His love toward you. God does have emotions and feelings about His love for you, but you understand that's not the basis. It's a byproduct of agape, of the commitment that He's made for your good. Understand this, that when the agape love is based solely on the character of the person that gives it. Why do so many marriages fail in our country today? Because the character, the one reason is people don't even really understand what love is. They think love is that, woo, that little warm, tingly feeling I get when I'm around you. And then when the little warm, tingly feeling's gone, which usually doesn't take too long for it to fly out the window when you uh, move in together and you get bills and you have financial challenges and the cares of life are coming up and you have to deal with real life and you realize that marriage ain't dating. I want to say again, the marriage ain't dating. Because you can date somebody, and if you're a jerk, you can go act nice for a couple hours, can't you? And you can act like Mr. Swift. Oh, baby, I just, oh, honey, you're so sweet. And then you can drop them off, and then you go home, and you can act like a jerk again. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. But, but then when you get married, it's different when you're waking up, 
and they're right beside of you, right? How many of y'all know when halitosis comes blowing, bad breath comes blowing across the bed in the morning, warm tinglys leave? It's so funny, Pastor Shine. I haven't been married no time. She bought us a little uh, little tin of mints that were shaped like they were cinnamon mints, and they were shaped like little lips. It was cute, y'all. I thought it was something nice. And she got them. She goes, "Look what I got!" And I thought, "That's awesome." She brought Beth mints to put in her nightstand so when she woke up in the morning, she could put one in her mouth before she talked to me. And so the next morning, we woke up, and I said, "Good morning." She went. Uh, 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 I guess she reached over and she got her little mints out, and she went, "Here's your mint." <laughs> And then she took one too. Amen? But how many of y'all know that when those circumstances come up, if all the, the, the love is being based on is the warm tinglys, as soon as the warm tinglys are gone, as soon as the little mushies are gone, then guess what? You, people start thinking, I don't love them anymore. And now I'm stuck in a loveless marriage. And, and I'm miserable. And they start looking for an out. And then that's when, when people become vulnerable to infidelity in their marriage. And a lot of it's because they don't really even understand what love is and what it's supposed to be based on. And you understand, when you begin to realize that love is a conscious decision that you make that's based on your character. And see, that's why we should be so comfortable in the love of God is knowing that God, His character is impeccable. I've said this before, and I love this scripture. God is not a man that He should lie, nor the son of man that He should repent, change the way He thinks. God's integrity is impeccable. And so when God says, I agape you, God is saying, I have made the conscious decision that everything I do toward you is going to be for your benefit. You know what? And the world, has, and, the world and a lot of people in the church have a real problem with You know, there's people that go to, the, or go to church. There are people in a church building this morning that deep down inside, and they won't ever be this transparent with someone, they don't think that God loves them. Huh? They, their, their, ideas, their ideas, well, you know, I just got to come to church and, and be a good person and be a religious person so when I die I don't go to hell. And they really don't think that God loves them. Why? Because there's been decisions that they've made in their life and because they've been deceived into making decisions, number one, that may have been unbiblical, unscriptural, or stuff that the Bible didn't speak specifically to, but they never prayed and asked God, God, what would you have me to do? I love it. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is reading about the life of King David. And you see, like, remember, even when David came back, and, and, and the story of where David came back to Ziklag, the city where his men, when he was on the run from Saul, and he was there in Ziklag, and the enemy came in while David and his, and his soldiers were out to fight a battle, and the enemy came in, took their wives, took their children, took all their possessions, and burned everything they couldn't carry, and David and his men came back. Now, it seems like the no, what would the no-brainer seem to be? Go after them and get it. Huh? That seems like a no-brainer. But you realize David wouldn't do anything until he sought God. He put on the, he put on the ephod. He put on the priestly garment. He went and he prayed and he ministered to the Lord. And he said, God, he said, what should I do? Should I pursue? And the Lord spoke to him and said, pursue and overtake and recover all without loss. And he did it. And so, but back to why some people think God doesn't love them is because they've either made decisions that were unbiblical or they've made decisions without consulting God and saying, Father, what would you have me do on it? And then things go south. Because how many of y'all know there's God's way of doing things and there's the world way of doing things? And sometimes you'll have what looks like success in the world, which might not really be success at all. It might be the devil baiting you up 
when it was a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about that the devil sometimes, if he's working in a situation that somebody could pray something that's unscriptural, and the devil take the... I was talking particularly about sickness, and I was talking about... How many of y'all remember the story? I don't want to waste a lot of time on it. Where Brother Hagen told the story about this guy. He was a missionary, and he went into Africa, and there was this witch doctor that they said healed people in the village. And Brother Hagen was talking about how the devil doesn't... If the devil, we know the Bible says the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Okay? So the devil is the, is the author of sickness and disease. Well, how many of y'all know that if the devil puts sickness on somebody, if he knows by taking sickness off that person that it's going to give greater influence to a, a false prophet in a village to have greater sway and influence over the whole village. He doesn't mind taking the sickness off of one person so that he can enslave the whole village. Amen? And so what I'm talking about is you may have what looks like success because the devil may not be resisting you in some area and you may have what looks like success but it's really not success because it's reinforcing a, a belief that's contrary to the Word in your life that's going to lead you into further, uh, further uh, false doctrine. You understand what I'm saying? But anyway, people will, they'll have things happen in their life. It'll go south and they'll say, well, God didn't love me. God don't love me. Well, first of all, did you make some decisions in your life that were unscriptural? Did you do some things, did you make decisions that if you looked in the Word, the Word said don't do this, but you did it anyway, and then some bad things happened? Okay, well, you can't equate that God doesn't love you. Why? Because one of the best things that you can do as a parent and do it when your kids are little is let them reap consequences for their bad decisions while the consequences are small. While the consequences are small. What are you talking about, Pastor? What I'm talking about is, is if your child does something, if, if you tell your child, if, um, if, and I'll give you this example. This is one that I use, that I use a lot. We'll tell Clay. Clay, we're going to go, I'm going to take you to the park. And if you'll obey Daddy and you'll mind Mommy and Daddy and you'll act right, when we get done, I'll take you to McDonald's and we'll get an ice cream cone. Okay? Okay, Daddy. And then we'll take him to the park and we, and we give great grace and great leniency and we'll give him warnings. Clay, now you need to know. Play nice. Play right. You know, keep your hands and feet to yourself. If there's other kids there, you know, and when Mommy and Daddy tell you stop doing something, stop doing it. Guess what? If he doesn't obey me, then I have to let him know, Clay, you didn't obey Mommy and Daddy while we were at the park. And because you didn't, I'm not going to buy you any ice cream. And guess what? When he busts out screaming and crying, when the big waterworks are running down his face, Oh, Daddy, please, I want some Oh, Daddy, I, I want I want. You have to stick by it and say, No, Mommy and Daddy told you what, what the requirements were of you getting this blessing, getting the good thing, and you did not... Main, you did not abide by what we told you to. Therefore, the consequences are you get no ice cream. Because how many of y'all know that, that I'm training him right then? I'm training him now so that when he gets older, I'm not saying, "Son, if you go out and you and you go out and partying with your friends and you come back home smelling like liquor, I'm going to take the car from you." But I've never took the ice cream from him in the in the past. And then my kid goes out drunk driving and wraps the car around the telephone pole and kills himself then I did something to contribute to the delinquency that he's experienced in his life because I never let him reap the consequences when he was small and the consequences were little. You understand what I'm saying? So really, did I love him? Huh? The Bible says, God said, if I chasten those whom I love. 
I discipline and I teach those I love. So those disappointments and, and those small disappointments and those failures in your life, don't deduct from those, God doesn't love me. The proper deduction might be, step back and analyze, was I honoring the Word in what I was doing? And if the answer is no, ding, 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 no-brainer. You know where you missed it. If you can't find anything particularly in the Word, then you pray and you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, did I miss you any place? Because even though what I did might have been perfectly all right for someone else to do, it might not have been right for me to do. Remember what was one of the things Pastor one of the most powerful statements that Pastor Earl mentioned when he came in the Winter Bible Seminar? He says, the greatest uh, failure, and the greatest tragedy in life is being a success at the wrong thing. Because you may have a gift and you may have an, a, talent, a talent that can make you successful by the world's measures of success, but you never prayed and asked God, asked God and you may ha- be clicking right along for a while, having what looks like on the surface is success, and then the whole bottom fall out. You know what I mean when I say the whole bottom? The whole bottom fall out of your life. And it's because what you were doing wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It just wasn't your thing that, that Father God, that Daddy God, Abba Father, wanted you to do. But you understand when you have those failures and you reap small consequences... God's chastening you and He is demonstrating His love to you because God doesn't want you to be out there where you won't receive any chastening and you won't receive any instruction when the consequences are small. Because you understand this, if you can't receive, the, if you can't receive chastening when consequences are small, then what's going to happen when you rock on in your life and you've conditioned yourself to where you won't receive any instruction and something catastrophic comes up in life? where the consequences are catastrophic. Okay? The love of, it's the love of God sometimes that's going to let us have those things where they don't happen the way that we thought that they ought to happen just so he, that we can learn that, and understand this. And, and, this is, and I'm defining this as love. He's allowed you to experience a temporary setback, the consequences of, of, of disobedience, really. He's allowed you to experience the consequences of disobedience so that you can learn from it and learn to be obedient so you don't make the same mistake in the past. And so when you go on in your life and consequences are greater, that you've already learned that lesson back in ABC uh, 1, 2, 3, spiritual elementary school so that when you're put in a situation later in life, then this is why, because he's doing that for your benefit. Even though it didn't seem like it at the time, even though to Clay... When I say, you didn't obey mommy and daddy, no ice cream, he might, in, his, in his mind right now, he might be thinking, you don't love me, or you'd give me ice cream. How many of you have ever heard your, heard, had your children tell you that? You don't love me, or you'd do it. No, I do love you, but the reason I'm withholding that good thing from you is because you didn't obey me, and, and I am withholding good from you right now for a higher good of teaching you to be obedient to your father's voice. Amen? And so love, God talking about the love, it's benevolence. It's doing good for someone. Amen? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 real quick. Amen? How many of y'all know pastor never gets as far as he would like to? Praise the Lord. Talking about love. Okay? So now that we've defined, we are talking about agape love. We are talking about the love that says, I make a conscious decision 
that everything I do for you is going to be for your benefit. You need to get that ingrained. That's what, God, that's what the love of God is. That's what agape is. I make a conscious decision, and the quality of the decision is determined by the character of the person making the decision. God says, I make the decision that anything that I do for you will be for your own good. It will be, it will be to your benefit. Everything that I do. That's why I say a lot of people's theology can be straightened out. Good God, bad devil. Okay? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've came that he might have life and have it more abundantly. Okay? God does stuff for our good. So now we're talking about agape love. And, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, it really is telling you how love behaves. And I just want to read through this real quick because there's some other stuff I want to get to. But, you know, Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I've become a noisy song and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know the mysteries of all knowledge and I have all faith so to remove mountains and do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love, agape, is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. Amen? You hear that? Even if somebody did you wrong, walking in love, you just don't take it into account, right? Uh, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Amen? So you understand this? Love is never going to fail. And you can go back, read those, study it out some more. But you understand that love, this is how love behaves. Love is I'm doing what's for your benefit. And, and the entire thing, love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen? Turn to, turn to Matthew 22 real quick. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22, starting with verse 37. <clears throat> Remember the uh, lawyer came to Jesus and was testing him, and he said, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You understand that, that love, agape, doing only what is to the person's benefit, doing only what is to God's benefit is the greatest commandment, loving God. Because remember this real quickly. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's lots of people. You understand? You ever, how many of you ever heard the saying, talk's cheap? Talk's cheap. You can meet all kinds of people going to church. They've got their big old you know, suitcase-sized Bible carrying it underneath their arm going to church on Sunday morning. And they leave that Bible. It's funny. They leave that Bible laying in their car all week long and never pick it up between Sunday and Saturday, right? But they'll say, oh, I love God. I love God. I love God. But they don't keep His commandments. Talk's cheap. You know, you can tell, you can tell your wife that you love her. But if you come home drunk and you're smacking her around and you're spending your whole paycheck out at a bar, you say, oh, Pastor, that's never going to happen in a church. I'm giving an extreme example, okay? You can tell her you love her all you want to. I love you. Man, I really love you. I love you. And the whole time you're just smacking her. You're not loving her. Huh? How many men have hugged their wife and said, Oh, I love you, after they've come home in a, in a drunken fit and smacked her around and used her for a punching bag? And they want to hug all over when the guilt of what they've done gets all over them. They want to hug all over and tell her how much they love her. 
You don't love me. Why? Because your actions are speaking louder than your words. And God and Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And it's funny because he said, if you keep my commandments, my love abides in you. They work together. Amen? So, to, to love the Lord and to love your neighbor. Amen? You understand this, that neighbor, it literally means, you know, the word neighbor literally means one close by. Amen? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? When the people came by, you know, the priest came by and the Levite came by and they saw the man that was beaten and robbed and left for dead at the side of the road and they just like stepped aside and just kept on going. Didn't help him. And then the Samaritan came. You know? And he, and he offered help for him and he went and he did what was to that person's good. Amen? He could have just, you know, he didn't just go on down the road. Amen? You know, it was funny, Pastor Shine, it wasn't funny, it was traumatic yesterday evening we were coming back from St. Augustine and we got on uh, I-95 at about about a quarter till 8 or 8 o'clock, and, and we weren't two miles up the interstate heading north, and there was an accident on the southbound lane. had traffic completely stopped, and it had just happened. And a tractor and trailer had hit an SUV and thrown, ejected the people out of the vehicle. And it was a mother laying on the pavement and blood all over the place and a child about six or seven years old laying on the pavement. And there wasn't anything that we could do but just keep keep driving and pray for them. And we just started praying and interceding for them and asking God to spare their lives and, and to work miracles. And you could hear the police officers as we were driving by. You could hear the police officers shouting at the you know, speaking to the mother and telling her she needed to stay down because there she was. She was just a crumpled mess on the pavement with blood all over and she was concerned about her child. Oh, but what's the point? My point is, is it just like, I mean, how could the love of God be? I mean, if we couldn't, I mean, we, we were in a situation where we couldn't stop. You know, there's six lanes of traffic and the police are already there and the, and the police are going to tell you, keep on going, right? But we start praying. But here we have an example of the Bible as someone that they've been beaten and robbed and left for dead laying at the side of the road. And these are people that are just walking by and leaving them. There's no EMS. There's no 911. They didn't, you know, they didn't get on their donkey phone and call 911 and wait for the ambulance wagon to come rolling up, right? They didn't do that. So the good Samaritan walked by, and he did what was good, and to the benefit, took the person, you remember the story, he poured, he poured uh, wine into his wounds, bound up his wounds, and took him to an inn, because they didn't have hospitals back then, took him to the inn and placed him in the inn so that he could convalesce, so that he could recover there, and paid uh, what he thought enough would be to cover the hospital bills. And you understand this, that that was self-sacrificing. This is a, this is another characteristic of agape, the love of God, and the type of love God wants us to display is it is self-sacrificing. In other words, you understand this: the the agape is not convenient. We live in a society, and our culture is is convenience-driven. Well, if it's convenient, I'll do it. In marriages, if it's convenient to me, I'll love you. You know, and friendships even. Well, you know, if it's convenient. How many of you right now, you could probably right now count on one hand and have fingers left over the number of friends that you have that you could call them any time of the day and be any way, any, you know, be hours away from them and need their help and they'd get out of bed right then and get their stuff and get in the car and leave. You could probably count on one hand, couldn't you? Amen? Why? Because, because when you really love somebody, you'll be inconvenienced for them. You don't love at your convenience. If you love somebody, love, love is when the need is there, right? 
So understand this real quick. I'm going to mention this and we're going to go just to let you know. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Just so you realize this. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Amen. How many of you all know what's in Exodus chapter 20? The Ten Commandments. Glory to God. I thought it was so funny. One of the funniest things I ever saw. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it here. Ed Cole one time was preaching... He was a minister, an older minister, that he was ministering in a stadium one time. And he had he used to have these men's meetings. And they said, we're men of God. And you know how it is. You get 50,000 men in an arena and they're all jacked up and woo! You know, and they said, we're men of God. And they all went, woo! Yeah, 50,000 men shouting, yeah, we're men of God. And making a racket. Said, said, we love God. And they're like, woo! Said, we love our wives. Woo! We love the Word of God. Yes! And they're all shouting and jumping up and down and rejoicing. He says, we uh, said uh, we know that you know we love the Ten Commandments, and they are all jumping up and down, hollering. He says, and they just stopped and said, "How many of y'all can name all Ten Commandments?" And a hush just fell across the whole stadium. And he said, "How can you love something you don't even know what it is? How can you believe something that you don't know, even know what it is?" Because remember, faith and ignorance are impossible roommates. The Ten Commandments. Amen. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to name them. Everybody's, I can see beads of sweat popping up on people's heads. Amen. Okay, the first, this is, you, know, you can find these in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. I'm just going to read down through them real quick to you. Number one, the first one is that you're not to have any other gods before Him. Amen? Now, see, in America, we're sophisticated. We don't have idols that we uh, bow down to, but we've made gods out of ourselves. You understand that? That's the goal of hedonism. We started out talking about hedonism and, and self-gratification. Not to have any other gods. No, don't have any other gods before Him. Number two, don't have any carved images and don't bow down to them. The third one, don't take the Lord's name in vain. And I've mentioned this several times before. It's more than just hitting your thumb and going, oh God. That's not really even taking God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain is you realize is coming into covenant with God and receiving His name because part of entering into a covenant with someone is receiving their name. That's traditional in a lot of covenants, right? Women, when you married your husband, did you take His name? Well, for a, wife, a way a wife would take her husband's name in vain is go through a ceremony, the ceremony of a covenant and receive his name and then not be his exclusively. Be sleeping around. huh? Or not enjoying the, the, the privileges really that go with being named that name. How many of you know, you, it didn't take you long to figure out when she took your last name, she got your check account too. Amen. <laughs> Don't take the Lord's name in vain in an empty and unfruitful way. It's Like I said, it's more than just stumping your toe or hitting your thumb and saying, Oh, God. The fourth one, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five is the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mother. Amen. The next one, do not murder. I won't, I won't uh, burden you with the details on this, but you know that there's a big difference between killing somebody and murdering someone. Some people will say, well, God contradicts himself in the Word because he told his people, thou shalt not kill. In the commandments, he said, don't kill. And then he told them to go out and kill whole nations. There's a difference between murdering and killing someone. Amen. I won't get into it. Praise God. Some of you might go home and decide you got a right, you've got a right to murder someone. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Do not commit adultery. Amen. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false witness. Number ten, do not covet your neighbor's possessions. Okay? You understand this. Love, now remember, this is where we're going at with this, and we're going to wrap it up with this. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And you understand that the Ten Commandments 
are like the, you know, how many of y'all, you know, we talk about the Bill of Rights in the Constitution. They're like the big, big biggies, okay? This is like the big, big things of the law. The, the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy is all talking about the law, and it talks about the ritual of the law. But really, the whole law hangs on the Ten Commandments. And remember, what did Jesus say when the rich young ruler came to him? He said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Some of you may have never noticed this before. In the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with your relationship toward God. The first four, no other gods before him, no carved images to bow down to, don't take his name in vain and remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those first four commandments deal with your relationship with God, how you're to love God. The next six, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, and don't covet your neighbor's possessions. Those deal with your relationships with your neighbors. And remember, neighbor just doesn't mean the person that's got a house next door to you. It means the person that's near you. If you're in the mall, the person walking down the aisle in the mall beside of you, they're your neighbor at that time. If you're in Walmart, the person that you're walking down, the person you come in close proximity to, because that word neighbor means one close to you. Remember, Jesus said, when the Samaritan, Jesus said, which one was a neighbor to him? Amen? And you understand that the Samaritan probably didn't have a house next door to the guy that got beat down and left for dead. He was close to him in proximity, and there was the opportunity to do good, to love that person. Amen? So you need to understand this. Having a self-sacrificing attitude toward God and others and seeking to do things to their benefit is the fulfillment of the law. That's the culture of the kingdom. Amen? It's in stark contrast to the, to, the, to the culture of the world where the world says do what feels good, do it. Where the world says whatever uh, you know, watches out for number one, do it. When the world says, you know, what, you know what's in it for me? That is the, is the opposite. But the culture of the kingdom of heaven is what can I do to be a, of a benefit and a blessing to others. Amen? And that's a stark difference and we need to realize that's the kingdom that we live in. Amen? That's the rules of the kingdom. That's the culture. Amen? <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we come to you.